Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. I have a title of this called Prosperity by Hilarious Giving. That may sound strange, but it definitely deals with the text. So we'll try to explain that. Prosperity is what uh, I think anybody would want. You know of anybody that would not like to prosper? To not want to prosper would not to be having success or wanting it or to have victory or have the best that you can possibly have. God actually wants His people to prosper. But unfortunately, people don't usually want to do what God's plan for them in the way that He has designed because they would rather do it their own way. As Frank Sinatra sang, I did it my way. And that always ends up opposite of what God had planned, in this case of what prosperity really truly is. I think the world certainly has its own view of what success and prosperity is, and they could tell you. As a matter of fact, I think the world pursues wealth, and it just consumes the world continually, constantly, to have that kind of prosperity. And going alongside the world, I think the church erroneously has misunderstandings of what it is and have fallen headlong right into the way the world is looking at it too, into a relentless pursuit of health and wealth and success and prosperity. Those words are all used in uh, some of the circles that are out there today. I think the church sometimes thinks that if you have wealth, then you have done something that has pleased God. You can only get wealthy if you've pleased God, and so therefore God has blessed you or hasn't blessed you, and you can tell it because of the amount of money that you have and what you own. To them, to be prosperous is spiritual. And it can be, but that's not the way that it always is. I think you are familiar with the health wealth gospel and what they portray, and the gospel says, as far as they're concerned, that it is God's will for every Christian to be rich, we're talking about millions of dollars, if you confess positively anything that you want, you can have. Because your God is a genie. And He'll give you just as long as you ask Him. God is obligated to bring the goods. That's the teaching of that kind of realm. Uh, so therefore, God is a genie. You have the creative power, the force of the tongue to create in you by the words that you say your success or your downfall. You just believe it. You can have the desires of your heart in the materialistic realm. And that's the teaching of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, which is rampant. It's all over the TV uh, cable channels, and um, it's preached constantly all day long. It's what you hear about. It seems to be the most popular, quote, gospel that there is today. The only thing is that we look at the gospel and we see something completely different. As Pat 
not Pat Robertson, but um, Jim Baker said when he wrote a book, I was wrong. He wrote that when he was in prison because he was after this health-wealth mentality. That's what he preached, that's what he knew. And then he finally read the scripture and saw that it was entirely different than what he had said. Anyway, uh, these errant views that are out there, we must understand what God has said about prosperity and not what we're hearing out there in the worldly realm or even in the so-called Christian realm. We want to see how God's economy works, how he's designed it. I think it's incredible how he has designed the, econ the economy, the way that it is supposed to be done. And when we're through with this text today, after we uh, get through reading it and kind of trying to get some meaning out of it, I think we can have some more enlightening on what God's plan is for uh, stewardship. It's so different than what the world says, though. Uh, like I say, I, I, I think it's a self-centered thinking that people want. And as long as you tell God what you want, then it's His will. If you've had it in your mind and you say it, it's going to come true. That's self-centeredness. That's prideful. It's all about self. And the Scripture says that we're to be selfless. That means less and less. We are to decrease as... Christ increases in our thoughts. We don't create our own reality, do we? We try to find out what God's will is. That's reality. Christianity is much better than what this health wealth thing is promising. It goes much beyond all of that. The helicopters and the planes and the cars and the million-dollar homes and such. It's much better than that. It's not about self, but it is about sacrifice. It is about the giving for others' well-being and all for God's glory. That's what it's about. God's plan for us, as far as finances are concerned, is that we work hard, that we invest wisely, that we save that doesn't mean stockpiling. It doesn't mean accumulating. But it means being generous. Jesus said this, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now in this series that we've been dealing with in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we hit on that text couple times and here we are looking at that again because that definitely agrees with the theme that we're looking at today. Uh, the thing is, is I've heard so much about health wealth, the verse scares me to death. <laughs> but Jesus said this and so it, it's got to be true. But we have to come in with, with the mindset of what the Lord says and what he's meaning and what these other texts are about. Uh, this means that the more that one gives, the more God gives back in return. And you're going, yeah, yeah, let's hear it, brother, yeah. <laughs> and that, that is true. How does this work? Well, that's exactly what this text is about today. That's where we're headed. That's what we're going to try to say uh, what he means here. It's 
definitely based upon an old adage that we're all familiar with, you will reap what you sow, is the idea here. That's said in, in shorter terms than what our text is here today. But it's an investment. What God gives us, it's an investment. And we're to sow what he gives and to invest into the kingdom of God. You will reap multiplied benefits. You go, really? I haven't seen it yet. Just look around. Just think about where he's brought you. Think about it and where you're going. It sounds too good to be true. This, this just, it, it's not for me then. It just doesn't work and it hasn't happened. But it's biblical. So we're going to peer right into the very words of God about this subject. And it's hard for me to believe. It really is. Still, after I've read this for many years and have studied it and even studied this week, I still have like some unbelief that's lingering there. Let's see what God says. And we're going to complete our series today, Lord willing, on grace giving. We've been here quite a few weeks on this and we could spend a lot more time, but we're taking some flowing texts that just kind of go together and Paul keeps pounding upon what he has stated. So we're going to complete this series on grace giving from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. What we want to do is... uh, Grab our Bibles. Let's stand up. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9. Let's start at verse 6. Let's get blessed here today. Let's let God teach us something. His Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, and what I mean by that is somehow I have to get out of the way. I have to use my mouth. But I, to get out of the way and let God's Spirit speak to all of us. Amen. So we read this. Let's let the power of the the truth and the Spirit affect us here now. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, 
they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's say that last verse together. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father in heaven, I'm amazed. I've read this text so many times. It's not that I don't believe it. But Lord, there's a part of me that really has trouble believing all of this. But yet... I'm torn because I know it's all true. It's because Jesus, the Word, the divinely inspired Apostle Paul, gives us things here that are absolute promises. So Lord, help us to understand this today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, what kind of promises do we have here today? It's astounding. Not only promises, but what he has done in the past, this indescribable gift. The principle of return and giving is first part. We've got two parts today. First part is the principle of return and giving. Our uh, second part I've titled Results of Christian Giving. What's, what are the results when we give? First part is the principle, and we kind of continue on with where we have been. We showed how it's supposed to be collected last week. Been dealing with this for weeks. We preach verse by verse here. We just go through book by book. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been in 2 Corinthians for months and months. So I don't force any passage. It's wherever we're happened to be at, that's where we're at. And that's where we've uh, been at for many weeks. No apologies here whatsoever. This is something I think that can make an impact on all of us. The first part here, uh, principle of return and giving. In verses 6 and 7, it's what we do. It's what we do. Then we get into verses 8 through 11, which include uh, uh, what God does. So 6 and 7 is what we do. 8 through 11 is what God does. Starts off with, in verse 6, this illustration. Stitch and time saves nine. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. You reap what you sow. Or here, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What does this mean? Paul sums up the benefits of liberality by means of a maxim here. This, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's a popular saying. Everybody's heard of you reap what you sow. It's, I think it's very useful. The, the reap what you sow, you can find that in Galatians 6-7. A little briefer statement there in Galatians. Paul says it again, though. I think the principle is very clear. A harvest is in proportion to our planting. If we 
plant little, we're going to get little. He's talking about real crops. Put a few seed out there, you'll get a few as far as the harvest is concerned. Uh, you do it bountifully, you put a lot of seed out there, then you're going to get a lot more of the harvest. I mean, it's pretty simple. An agrarian society knew exactly that's the way it is, and if you've been planting any grass or uh, uh, th throwing the seed out, this spring yet, or you've thought about it, or maybe you've, you're thinking about planting other things like uh, potatoes, and a lot of other people are putting their gardens out already, and not tomatoes maybe yet, but at the same time, uh, you expect something in return, a lot more than those seed, so it just uses something that, that's an automatic. Um, we get as good as we give, and the same principle works for the people of God spiritually. And, it's, and we're not talking about amount of money. This guy gives more money than this guy. We've already stressed that. And that means this guy is going to get more blessing because he gives more money. We said, no, 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 no. It's a proportion of what you get as a steward and what you do. That's how God judges it. So every farmer knows the size of the harvest is directly proportionate to what he has been sowing. Um, in farming, it appears when you throw the seed out, that's very little. It's minimal, isn't it? Matter of fact, it looks like a loss because you're just pitching it out there, throwing it to the ground. It looks like you're getting, it's, you've lost something. You've now lost your seed. And yet, in fact, it's a gain, isn't it? Because you expect to get more. That's reaping you. So in the spiritual realm, the principle is that God is giving to his people the results and a blessing. And what we have to do is turn back to some Proverbs, Proverbs 11.24. Some of these passages are quotes or thoughts that would line up with exactly what we have read. You have the Psalms in the middle of the Bible, and then you have Proverbs in chapter 11, verse 24, verse 25. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Turn, turn to chapter 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his good deed. One who is gracious to the poor man lends to the Lord. The Lord will repay him for his good deed. We know that God doesn't need our money. That's ridiculous. He owns everything. But at the same time, it's showing what our relationship is with him when we relate to others. We have the Luke 6.38, which I read earlier. But here again, it's talking about the return that God has for us when we give. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. 
when you go when when they would go and get grain or buy what have you, um, they would have what would be a long flowing robe. They would take that up, put it out there like what you could maybe an apron or have a big pocket, almost like a, a bushel basket full. They would put it in there and they would give you what you had given them as far as the money is concerned. And it would be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And he says, spiritually, that is what happens to you. Rather incredible, Jesus said this. This is prosperity giving, according to Jesus. Quite different, isn't it? The word sparingly. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. What's the idea? Spare my life. It means, you know, let me keep my life. Don't take it from me. Spare no effort. You want to put every effort into it. Don't hold back any kind of effort at all. Don't hold back. Give it all the effort you can. God did not spare his own son. Right? I think Romans 8 there. He meant God did not hold him back. Right? God did not hold him back. He shared his son. This is God's plan. So to give sparingly is to give from a heart deep inside that wants to hold back what is to be given. To hold it back. There are external conflicts and constraints and pressures that will make us go ahead and give something, and we'll give. But the real feeling of the heart is not really wanting to give. We think of how much we give and how much I really want to keep. Now that's how not to give. The sparing heart has a relationship to God that feels like he's a taker. Now, I get some from the, of these quotes here from John Piper, who I thought did a very good treatment on this, where he says, either God is seen as a giver to you or he's given as a taker. Oh, he wants my money. He wants to take that from me. He's solely demanding from me. And if you've been with us all through this text, you will see that that's not true at all. Matter of fact, he doesn't even command you to give a tithe in the New Testament. I've been talking about that. I feel like grasping after the things of the world to meet my need. Every time I look up and I see a pointing finger of God demanding, give me, give me, give me, we're seeing a God who is a taker. That's not the scriptural God. How can I look back down at the needs of the world and say, take me? I will gladly spend and be spent for your good. And we have a taker. But no... 
We have a giving God as we see the next phrase there. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, stop right there. Eulogia. It means blessing. You've heard of the word eulogy? Somebody gives a good blessing or a good word about somebody. A blessing. It literally means to give on the basis of blessing. That's the idea of bountifully here. Our giving should rest upon the truth of God. When we give, where we give, what that is. It's based upon the very truth of who He is, who he is and what He has said. Um, now, I'm sure that the apostle here definitely includes financial blessing And like I say all the time, we really do not know how financially blessed we are. When we compare it to the Joneses next door, across the street, people we work with or whatever, obviously they make more money than we do and they have more things. That's not what we're talking about. But God does bless us financially. And if you think about all the things that we have, you know, we we have roofs over our our head and we have food. We have plenty of food. Extra food. It's stockpiled in the refrigerator and the cupboards and cabinets and wherever. So, it's, it's not limited to those financial blessings either, though. The things that we reap are often things that are not simply financial. Oh, that definitely is part of it. But it goes beyond that into the, the spiritual realm. So give bountifully. If a farmer is to grow wheat, he doesn't try to figure out the best way to get the biggest crop with the least amount of seed. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm going to throw this out right here, and I'm going to have a whole field that is 10 acres with just throwing out my hand here like that. A farmer can't do that, can he? He doesn't try to figure out a way to to do fewer seeds. He he knows how that principle works. But he sows bountifully in order to reap bountifully. It's an investment. We invest into the field. Invest into the kingdom. It's an investment for us. It's an investment for others. It's an investment for the kingdom of God. And so we do. As as you think of this text here, we have the Macedonians, the Achaeans, the Corinthians. And their investment is going to make an impact on others in Jerusalem and Judea. It's also going to make an impact upon the givers, as it has already, as we've seen the Macedonians, as they gave, as they had so little and yet they were so blessed. And to us, we've already seen that it means that we get financially blessed. It means we get spiritually blessed. You know what the bountiful giver sees when he looks at God? The bountiful giver sees a giving God. He is a giver who gives and gives and gives and keeps on giving. So that's the way we are to look at it. We have a giver who's God. A heart that looks up 
sees God. He sees Him as a giver. He sees Him as a helper. He sees Him as a supplier, sufficiently giving us everything we need. When a person looks to God, he feels replenished, not drained. Even when a person hears a command coming from God, he hears it as a hopeful gift. Matter of fact, it's not a depleting demand, but there is hope in this. Now, what makes a difference? You have the one who does the sparing. You have the other one who is bountiful. What's the difference between these? Both of them are giving. It's called the relationship that they has with God. It's the relationship. For one, demands incessantly. They see God as a draining taker. He's taking what I'm giving. Faulty view of God, isn't it? But the, the other one, who's bountiful, sees God as an inexhaustible giver. He gives and he doesn't, whoop, 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 I've got to get some more somewhere. It just keeps on coming from him. And you know what? I thought about this week. I'm on my. It sure has. It's kept coming to me, to my wife, Caroline, to all of us. He never has ran out, has he? We know better than that. We know he's sufficient. But he just keeps giving. We look at the needs of the world and we realize that God uses us to meet the needs of other believers, to meet the needs of other ministries, to meet the needs of the lost. It's because he gives us his love that is overflowing. He gives us his grace that overflows. We read that in our text here. Love is simply a vertical grace. It comes from God. It goes outwardly horizontally to other people. He uses us as a conduit. We use it in many different ways. The biggest issue in our lives. You want to know what the biggest issue in our lives is? Biggest issue in our lives this morning, right now, and every day is how we see God. How do we view Him? How do we feel about Him as we look into His face? Coram Deo, before the face of God. How do we see Him? You see, you don't have to be so caught up on the giving thing. It's looking at the giver who gives and gives. So the burden of the rest of this text that we have this morning, this just set us up, and it's that whole principle. This verse about sowing sparingly and sowing bountifully should help us to see God to feel God, in a sense, as a giver and not a taker. He gives. He's a giver on both sides of our giving. What, what do you mean by that, both sides? Well, on our backside, which enables our giving with His blessing. The front side is that He rewards our giving with even more blessing. 
He just keeps giving and giving. And I got a feeling we could probably get a testimony from every one of us in here about he has just given and given. You should have seen where I was at a few years ago. You should have seen way back when. And you should see where the Lord has brought me here. It's only by his grace, but look what he's done, right? You can look at it spiritually. You can look at it materially. It, it's true. It really is true. How do you view God? Is he a giver or taker? With that thought now, we can move on and probably move through this text a little quicker. That verse sets us up. It's the kingpin. And then we'll finish with that great verse. Let's look at verse 7. Here's the spirit of stewardship now. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Ah, cheerful giver. First, giving is to be universal. That's mean, that means all Christians. Each one. Also, it means it's personal. Each one must, just, must ju do just as he has purposed. He, that's us. It's an individual matter also. It's not just everybody or Christians, but it's the privacy of one's own heart. We don't have people telling us how much each person answers for himself. Nobody in this church is going to tell somebody else how much they should be giving. It's up to that person and their relationship with the Lord. Do you see how that is? There are churches, there are denominations that will, will demand a certain amount of particular fam of families and their membership. That is absolutely unbiblical. It's not according to this text or anywhere else in Scripture for that matter. We give as we decide. The next is the purpose. Each one must do just as he has purposed. The word there is pro-eremi. It means to decide. Literally means as each one has purposed. It's what you have made a decision on. You, you choose deliberately what you're going to give. It's to make up one's own mind about what is to be given. Uh, you've seen the telethons. Telethons, if you watch them or been a part of them, they can really play on your emotions. I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong, but I can say that a lot of telethons play on people's emotions so much that they solicit contributions, and it ends up so much that the donors don't ever give what they promised. They do it, they say something and promise something impulsively, and deliberately, but they don't follow through with what they said. And Paul's saying it's a calculated decision on what we're going to give. It's not an impulsive matter. We're not going to make you feel bad. It's what you have had your relationship with the Lord. And if you're seeking Him, uh, that's your, your decision with, with Him leading you. That's what we desire, right? Uh, the next one is without regret. Each one does his purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or even under pressure. Without regret, not out of sorrow. We don't do it out of sorrow. Uh, we don't give and then we grieve over the fact, oh, I wish I wouldn't have given that. Oh, the money's gone. It's just, you know, we're thinking of all the things we could have purchased. I could have gotten. Next one is, uh, or under compulsion. 
not under pressure. Not under pressure. Not un under any compulsion. Not forced, right? And then that next phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, the word for cheerful there is hilaron. Um, hilar, hilarious is the English word. And I know what you're thinking. Laughing, a laughing giver. Well, I, I guess that could, that could help. I'm not suggesting that you be hilarious giver in the sense of, you know, a laughing matter. Uh, in Proverbs 22.8, it says, God blesses a cheerful and, and liberal man. Cheerful. Hilarious. A rather high standard, isn't it? Where you just, I, you know, I can't wait to give because, you know, it just makes me smile and laugh. Not suggesting that as, as the offering plate would go around. It doesn't really have to be that way. But at the same time, um, we, we give cheerfully. That's what, that's what God wants you to give. Not, there's no force. I suspect that God delights in a cheerful giver because in such a Christian, he sees his work and his will being done in these clay pots. Yeah. He sees that being done and it for the good. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8 and 9. He who sows iniquity will reap manity, and the rod of his fury will perish. There's somebody who is a, is a sinner, and he sows more sin. He's going to reap vanity, emptiness. <laughs> Verse 9, he who is generous will be blessed. Do we believe that? I've got to ask myself that. Do I really believe that? He who is generous will be blessed. For he gives some of his food to the poor. It's because God is a giver. Now we move to, that, that is what we do in 7 through 9, right? So we divide this first part up in two parts, and the second part now is eight, uh, 9 through 11. 8 through 11. God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able God is able. God promises to supply abundantly. Has he done that? But God promises to give generously. Paul wants the Corinthians to flee from the fear that maybe they need to hold on or hold back what they've promised. And if they give, it'll leave them impoverished, like the saints in Jerusalem. But what purpose does God have in mind? What's his goal about this generous giving that Christians, a good Christian steward, is going to abound? Why does God promise financial abundance to those who cheerfully and freely give to others? Why does he do that? Well, we see it in verse 8. For every good deed. For every good deed. It is in order that you may have an abundance for every good 
deed, right at the end of verse 8. You notice in this verse 8, do you notice something that keeps sticking out? God is able, that's power word by the way, that's dunamis, to make, and you notice it's, God, it's all about God here really. This is God's part. The reason why we can do our part is because of God's grace. God is able to make all grace. You notice the alls here, these superlatives. And all grace abound to you. So that when? Always having all sufficiency in how much? In everything, you may have an abundance for every, all, every, always, every good deed. Amazing. Paul's string of universals there, all. Uh, He says, to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency, sufficiency, Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to whatever he feels at the time. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Confess, I haven't believed that but the way that really needs to be believed. My God, my God, see how personal it is here? Here's our relationship. My God will supply. Whenever he says will, can he do it? He can do it. Will he do it? He says he will supply all your needs. Has he done it? So yeah, but there was that time that I was you're you're still here. You're doing you're doing well. You're doing okay. He will supply all your needs according to his riches. It comes out of his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a that is a tremendous promise promise of abundance you can say so so you want to give so you want to give and then you can rightly rightly say this i don't have the money to give it i really don't it's it's all gone i have more month at the end of the money i don't have it's not here matter of fact that that's probably been true of every one of us somewhere on the line so there's no guilt here. And we mentioned last week, God doesn't want you to be in a situation where you, you can't pay your bills. Maybe you're overextended or whatever. Um, this is where you have your relationship with the Lord there. But remember that there will be coming a time that you can. Maybe you can't right now. If that's it, and you've had that conversation with the Lord and you're settled on that, Fine. But remember this, God is able. 
He is powerful. He is dynamite. To make all grace abound to you and everything. He's powerful. Dunate. He's God Almighty. He provides the means to be generous. So I'd like to be generous. I really do. You know what? i got a feeling you do. I'd like to be generous. So what can God do? Well, God will do this. As he says. Turn to Psalm 112 verse 9. As we get some text that he's borrowing from here. Paul is. Psalm 112.9 Sounds familiar to our 2 Corinthians verse 9 here today. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. He has given freely to the poor. He's a righteous God. And it endures forever. He never never runs out of righteousness. He'll take care. Turn to Deuteronomy 15, verse 10 and 11. Deuteronomy 15, 10. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Jesus said that too, didn't he? You'll always have the poor. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and the poor in your land. That's how God gives. He gives to His people. Second Chronicles chapter 31. It's after the kings. All these promises God has is just tremendous, isn't it? 31.10, 2 Chronicles. Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, temple, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over, for the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is left over. And I think of the miracle feedings that Jesus did the 5,000, the 4,000, multiple thousands of people were fed on just a meager loaf of bread, loaves of bread, fish, some biscuits and a little bitty fish or whatever, sardines, feeds all those people. Abundance. It was left over. There were leftovers. The disciples fed everybody and it was still just coming over the top. Enough for them to eat on for longer, the disciples. It's what God can do. Isn't that terrific as we read this? God is able. God is powerful. Paul right here is encouraging the Corinthians. that if, And he's encouraging us. If we want to really give, he will make it possible for us to give may not be at this moment. Maybe it is. But at the same time, he says this is what he can do. 
I know he can, but I'm not sure he will. <laughs> so that's why verses 10 and 11 come next. We're in 2 Corinthians 9, right? We're at verse 10 and we're at verse 11. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So there he goes back to the illustration. He goes back to the literal seed and the sower. And he says, God is the one who gave you that seed. It's dead. There's nothing there in that seed, is there? There's no life there. You throw it into the ground and it comes up full of life. Isn't that incredible? Carolyn asked her dad one time who loved to garden one of the best gardeners that you'd ever want to see. He just loved to do it. He would have a tremendously big garden and they would have more food than what they really needed. And even when it got down to basically himself that really ate the stuff, he still had, he was still doing that. And Carolyn asked him one time, have you ever thought about that seed that has no life and it goes into the ground and it comes out? Of course, he really couldn't explain it. It was dead in that seed. There's no life there. Of course, Christ was dead, buried, planted into the ground, the first fruits. Bountifully coming out of that fruit, first fruits are what? The fruits of the church. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? That right there, we should just shut down. Say, let's go home. Think on that. But we have more to go. So, God has more to speak. He never quits, does he? He just keeps on giving and giving. Like Timex watch. Ticking and ticking. Sorry. Okay. I'm not sure he's going to do it, though. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. Uh, it is in order that he might multiply your seed for sowing. That, that's why he's doing it. The more you give, the more you'll be able to give. The more you give, the more you'll be able to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul has stated that, and he said actually that Jesus said that. What a harvest of joy this can mean. Think about it. In other words, he will do it. It's not about us, so I can get this. No, it's about Hey, God, work through me so I can give more so that other people are blessed. And then I know you'll bless me so that I can give more. You see how it works? Wow. I don't like to learn here. In other words, he will do it. He will make it possible for us to give. That's a marvelous statement, folks. He'll make it even more and more possible. Apostle uses two words there about dealing with seed. The physical seed that you plant in the ground. And, and then he says... He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There he's talking about our spiritual seed that will extend on out from there. Look at Isaiah 55.10. This is an amazing thing. I'm overwhelmed. For as the rain and the snow come from down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It takes the seed, comes out as that wheat turns out to be bread. 
But he has this cycle that starts all over again. And here we are in the springtime. Farmers are planting it out there. But somehow it just keeps happening and he sends the rains that are needed. Think about this weekend. He's, boy, he's right on time. His perfect timing is always going to be perfect. The way that he does it, it's incredible. So there can be a harvest later on. Brings that rain. Did we did we thank him for the rain this weekend? Deals with the food that you're going to buy later when you go to the grocery store. I say, well, I always I make money at the where I work. I have the the money and I just go into the store and buy it. Uh, much more to that. How did that get there? Right. God uses people in a whole chain for people to be fed. Hosea chapter ten verse twelve. Ten verse twelve. So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Wow. Says a lot, doesn't it? The harvest of righteousness. To increase the harvest of your righteousness. At the end of verse 10 it says. We're just explaining what this means, right? As we go through these words. We might, when we give to others, it's expressing God's righteousness. Is that what it's saying? Yeah. It's expressing God's righteousness when we give to others. You know what? Going back to verse 8, his promise and everything that's there, all this abundance and such, it's a matter of divine integrity. He has given his word. He's given a promise. And when God gives a promise, have you ever seen him not to ever answer that promise and come through with it? If he, if he doesn't, he's a liar. And we have every right then to say that God doesn't have the right to say any of this because he lies. He's not truthful. If God were not to amply supply for us the good deed of giving, his reputation of his righteousness is destroyed. He is not a righteous God if he promises and doesn't come through. But it doesn't stop with God's righteousness. According to verse 10, when we give generously, we display the very reality of our faith and the means of the deeds of our righteousness. It really shows off God's righteousness. It displays His righteousness that He has put in us. Wow! We're displaying His righteousness. Verse 11, it speaks about for all liberality. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For all liberality. God will never stir up your heart to give. And then you fail. Or he fails to supply you. Otherwise, God's lying right here. But the idea is that we should give so that God will then enrich us personally with a not with a just to, to enrich us personally, so that would be for our just our comfort and our convenience. 
none of this may not be even convenient at all. And it might give us purchasing power. That's the reason I want to give, because it'll give me more purchasing power for myself. No, that's not it. That's absolutely foreign to Paul's teaching. You will not see that anywhere, and yet it's so prevalent in the church's thinking today. Where do we see that? Personal wealth is viewed here as not as an end in itself, but it's a means to a higher goal. And do you see it there in verse 11? Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. It means we give thanks to Him. God gets the glory. God gets the praise. God gets the thanksgiving. Our generosity, our obedience to the gospel. Thanksgiving to God. Well, y'all, that's part one. Here's part two. It's 12 through 15. Okay. We're going to move through this quickly. And what it is, it's just a line of results. Boom, 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 boom. Verse 12. What are the benefits, Dennis? What, what's my benefit if I, if I give? Like God says here. What, what's my benefit? More than you can imagine. The first one is meeting the needs of the saints. For the ministry of this service. Two Greek words there that are actually different. One deals with diakonia or deacon or servant. The other service is related to it, but this time it's a different word. Is it's laetrio or laeturgia or liturgy, service. It's priestly, a priestly kind of service. Literally, it's the text is saying the service of this service. It's not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, aid or support. Uh, Paul has in mind, he's thinking of the Corinthians, their contribution to the Jerusalem saints who were poor. That's called a liturgia. Word means to work for the people. Second one, found in verse 12. It's not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. We've said this earlier in the other verse. Now we say it again. It's gratitude to God. So it meets the needs of the saints when we give. It gives gratitude to God. The best thing that you can be doing in your life is thanking God. When you thank God, you're giving glory to God. You're praising God. You're honoring God. If one is not a believer, what are they doing? They're not giving thanks to God. Romans 1. The third one. I told you it would be clicking along. Verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. The third one is glory to God. So while the immediate aim of the collection is to relieve the poor saints in Jerusalem, there's one overarching overriding goal here it's the ultimate goal it's about honoring God God is the enabler 
He's the one that gave us this. He's the one that provided of all that we possess. He owns it all. God promises to multiply our benefits and to maximize His glory for He is the supreme giver. That's what we want to see. We want to make much of God. He's the supreme giver. He's not the taker, is He? He's the giver. In fact, Paul calls this a test of a proof of our obedience because the proof given, this is dakimazo, a proof, and we've said that many times, it, it is there to show what is genuine. We're given tests in our Christian life to prove really what our, to, to prove our faith. It's to show our faith that God has granted to us. It's the reflection of what we believe in the gospel of Christ. When you give, you know what you're doing? You're reflecting the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that in 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God. The Jerusalem saints, for instance, and all the other ones that were need. For your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ, you are obeying what you believe. You're obeying this gospel because you know that that's what you're supposed to do. So it's a proof of faith. People will glorify God. The recipients are Jewish people, conservative Jewish Christians who still regarded the Gentiles maybe outside there. Maybe they had a little fear of them. Maybe they had a little suspicion. And here you have the Gentiles coming into the church and they're giving money to where the church started back in Judea. Don't you know that made an impact on the Jews? Wow, the church is full of people not only of where we came from, but from the rest of all the nations. Made an impact, didn't it? So it showed that their faith was genuine. What a concern. They're helping us out. Don't you know what an impact that made? And then it, it doesn't stop with that. But we see how it, it affects them, as we say. Verse 14, while they also by prayer on your behalf, praying, yearn for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God in you, they've just been overwhelmed as that collection came to them. And they were in awe of God, how he worked through them. They're thanking God. They're praying for these people that gave it to them. There's an affection. There's a fellowship of the saints. The people who benefit from your sowing will long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing greatness or the glory or the grace of God in you. And lastly, verse 15. What's another benefit? Sixth one. Gratitude for the grace of God. This is the indescribable gift. This is how we finish here. Thanks. Again, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. It goes back to God again. Just think of that gift. Now, a lot of debate on that, but I don't think there's any debate. 
Some say, well, that means that was the gift that, that was collected by the Gentiles that was given to the Jews. Others say, and most will say, this is the person of Jesus Christ who is the indescribable gift. Amen. I don't doubt that one at all. Matter of fact, that is my main thought on this. But it can be both. Mainly it means Christ. And that's really what I want to focus on. This is the motive of all of our giving. Both God's and ours. God's giving, our giving, in a sense. Paul remembers all the grace that flowed from Calvary. And he burst into thanksgiving here. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The apostle is a marvelous master of the Gentile Greek language. And he's talked about untrackable riches, the unsearchable judgments. Peter has talked about the unspeakable joy. And here Paul talks about God's indescribable gift. We cannot put it in any human language. And that's the thought of this Greek word here, anekdotos. It's something that is beyond human description. Indescribable. It's beyond my lips. What is God's indescribable gift? I can't even say that word. God's gracious gift of Jesus Christ, who though rich, became impoverished himself to make us rich. Jesus Christ is the divine gift which inspires all other gifts. Goes back to the cross. I finish with a word and a thought from C.H. Spurgeon. Who could ever express fully what is meant in thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift? We could never set forth the whole meaning of it. We could never even set forth the manner of His giving. He was by the right hand of the Father throughout the ages of eternity, in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, enjoying, as He said, the glory that He had with the Father before the world was, as He prays in John 17. And this one in the ages of eternity of the right hand of the Father comes into our existence and is on a mother's breast, as Spurgeon says. Who could ever expound and explain the fullness of the gift and the significance of the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what? All these blessings, they're really meant for God's glory. And how does he get best how do we give best to glory well it's the ultimate hope ultimately being conformed into the very image of Christ who is the indescribable gift we are being conformed into the very son of God right now as you have sat here today you are being conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ that's overwhelming and that's why Paul could only burst out into this. As he said, the surpassing grace of God is in us. The surpassing grace of God has been put in us and we're doing His work. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Father, thank You for the indescribable gift. 
may we focus upon that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Until next time.